Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes is Ghost Poet to talk about how he recorded and produced the album I Grow Tired But Dare Not Fall Asleep. Obaro Ijimawe, better known as Ghost Poet, is a South London-based artist whose work is often identified as not specifically belonging to any particular genre. His debut album, Peanut Butter Blues and Melancholy Jam, was released in 2011. It was praised for its perfect balance of imagery, sound and text and received a Mercury Prize nomination. His subsequent albums have been equally well received, with his third, Shedding Skin, gaining him a second Mercury nomination. To date, Ghost Poet has released four albums and one EP, and his work has been remixed by a multitude of artists, including Alt-J, Metronomy and Ghost Culture. Having always had a keen ear for collaboration, his career has seen him join forces with an eclectic mix of musicians, including Nadine Shah and Maximo Park's Paul Smith, as well as Damon Albarn's Africa Express project. Today, once again due to the COVID lockdown, I'm at home in southwest London and I am joined by Ghost Poet and his engineer Shuta Shinoda from their respective homes to talk about how the upcoming fifth album, I Grow Tired But Dare Not Fall Asleep, was recorded and produced. And what better way to start that conversation than by hearing something from the record? This is Nowhere to Hide Now. I'm your machine. Tell me where to go. Smashing down the wall. Down in Mexico Tell me how you feel Am I on your mind? Do you need a lift? Have we got the time? Yeah, yeah, but I'm your machine Turn me on and on Dead is wasted time Bombs are going off Bodies in the streets Panic in the pipes Screaming fills the air It's going down tonight Going down tonight. We all the keys, we turning these lots together. You want the dust streets alone. I stick to shadows forever. It is Ghost Poet with Nowhere to Hide Now from the new album I Grow Tired But Dare Not Fall Asleep and I'm very pleased to say that by the magic of modern technology I have got Ghost Poet Obar in another part of London and then Shooter who worked with Obar on the album in another part of London as well. Because of isolation we're in three separate places but hopefully we're going to be putting together a nice episode of Tape Notes. How are you all? Uh... Alive. <laughs> still alive. Still alive. Yeah. Things Surviving. could be worse. <laughs> Good. There was yeah. a, a very worrying pause there. Um, but um, <laughs> it's here. good to We're know here. that you're still releasing the music, though, Ghost Poet, um, yeah, with this sure. new album. It's very exciting. So, Thank album you. number five. And what did you think about this new record? What was your approach? What was the agenda this time around? Uh, the agenda. Um, I think for me, I, the mission is always the same, which is to just make good music, you know, and I wanted to just evolve as an artist and continue the mission of talking about the times that we're living in and human emotion, you know, human mm. 
psyche. That's always been the mission. I just thought, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I believe is the phrase. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, that's why people turn to you. They want to get your insights and your reflections on what is going on in the world and in your world as well. And so when you approach a new record, mm. how do you approach it? Do you What happens first and who do you turn to? Because obviously you're a solo artist, but you yeah. do involve other musicians and you do involve other producers and sometimes other guest voices and that kind of thing. So mm. how does it all start? With this record, it was a case of, um, I knew that I wanted to produce it myself the previous three records were co-production jobs. So the first port of call was to, you know, collate the ideas together at home, uh, which is normally the, the beginning process anyway. Um, so it was a case of collecting recordings from <laughs> a couple of phones. I do a lot of kind of like audio recordings on my phone just like what do you call those things phone notes or whatever mm. so i did i did a lot of those so i kind of collected those ideas together um stuff that i recorded on tapes just bits and bobs being on tour just recording things on spare pianos or instruments that i just had lying around when there was some downtime and then it was a process of working out the kind of world that i wanted to create with the record because I never go down the route of, of a concept record of like, these are the subject matters that I want to deal with on this particular album. It's very much a case of just what is the feeling that I'm trying to get across over the course of a record. So that's always the beginnings. So I did that and I worked out a, around 20, 25 songs or ideas at that point that I felt would work for this particular project. And then it was a case of, um, the first put on call is to get my mate Ben Markham involved, who's my live guitarist and my musical director and a dear friend of mine. And he usually comes around and I'm like, okay, I've got all these humming ideas, literally just me humming into things or tapping away on a piano. Help me to just make them into loops that I could work with because... I know no theory, so I don't even have a clue what the notes are. And he kind of deciphers them for me to make them usable as loops in my door choice, which is logic. And then I can start developing the songs further at home. So that's how the beginnings of it. Yeah, interesting. So um, we're going to look at three songs in this episode. And the first of them is Breaking Cover. So I think a good way of illustrating how these ideas progress would be to start looking at that. So yeah. you get Ben round. You, what yeah. do you share with Ben at that point? Just a voice note on a phone. Potentially, yeah. Sometimes, like I said, if it's a case of there's a guitar hanging around or piano somewhere, I try to just get some ideas down. So it could be either a voice note or a rubbish guitar loop. And then he just, yeah, kindly comes around and laughs at my ideas because they are they sound totally ridiculous in the beginning and then he kind of just makes them into loops that i can work with in logic really which is just the easiest way for me to work i can do it myself but i'm just very lazy at that stage so yeah he helps <laughs> me out he helps me out a lot at that point so i mean breaking cover does start with an interesting guitar line and then kind of it has a few jagged 
guitar stabs going on yeah. as the song picks up pace. So sure. if we were to illustrate some of this, where would we start? Well, in terms of the demo, the main kind of like melody was I played it on a guitar, like a one string note type thing. But it ended up, I'm, what I find when I try to play guitar, it's always lower octaves or lower high octaves is something I, mean, I don't know anything about music theory but it always comes across as bass notes rather than anything else so it ended up being bass on the record it's just kind of like really um processed bass which is the main kind of melody but i started it off on the guitar and yeah i don't know i just kind of the mission was to create an acoustically rich album with electronic leanings and that was the beginning stages for me so yeah it, it started off a very humble guitar line that we can hear if you want to hear in terms of the demo yeah that would be great all right let's play the demo shooter so that is you obar playing that yeah, on that on this particular one, I think that was me, um, possibly Ben. And it's kind of a case of, yeah, I started with that guitar line and then added in the kind of organy, Wurlitzy kind of key stuff. Some of the stuff on, on this didn't survive into the actual track. But yeah, I kind of built it up around, with well, demo anyway, around that guitar line. I don't know, I just kind of, I like really odd dissonant notes and chords. And partly because I don't really know theory, it, I just kind of make stuff that may sound odd, but sounds cool to me. Um mm. But presumably that's because it conjures up a feeling or taps into a mood somehow for sure. that you're looking yeah. for. Yeah, I guess that's it. It's good. I'm always kind of, that's what's dictating things more than anything. It's the, what's the kind of mood I'm looking for? And it's never a kind of a spreadsheet of emotions. It's just kind of however I feel that particular day or whatever's on my mind will subconsciously come through in the demo. Um it's mm. I, I named them all I can't remember the name of this particular thing, but I always named them by wherever I am or whatever I'm doing. So it would have been something stupid, I don't know, like fish finger. <laughs> something like <that. laughs> something stupid. So yeah, it just depends on what's going on in my life at that time will dictate what comes out really. Um yeah. but yeah, it was really basic. Like most of my demos, they're always basic, usually around two, three, four elements bass drums maybe guitar maybe keys and then i kind of develop it from there really yeah and at this stage are you thinking about the words as well or have the words already been written or obviously it may change with each track but say if you created that guitar line you've got that kind of mood going on mm. how does that link then into to what you start talking about on the song um again it just depends on what's going on in my life at the time when i started that demo when i made it initially it's very rarely that i start writing at the same time mm. normally it's i could start a demo today and i may not write to it for another 
three, four months, just depends. Um, so none of the songs were written lyrically at the time of the initial demos. I will call it the nonsense deciphering where it goes from voice note to loops that I can use. That's when I start thinking about the lyrics and working out what the song's saying to me, really. So I'd start writing down ideas. It could be a line or two. It could be a chorus. It could be whatever comes out will dictate where the song goes. So yeah, there's always a kind of disconnect between the initial demo creation and the lyrics. I don't know why I do it like that. I just kind of feel like I want to concentrate on one thing at a time, be it the music or be it the lyrics. Yeah, that's interesting. And in terms of the structure of the song, once you've got some words, do you then start shifting around the structure of the song and looking for ways yeah. to, to develop it? Yeah, for sure. Um, with this record, I was kind of writing quite late into the process, really. Normally, I'm kind of going into the studio with lyrics all in place. So I, I've got a relatively rough structure in place and a whole song in place lyrically. But with some of these songs... I could say even maybe half the songs weren't fully written until three quarters in to the recording process. I don't know. I kind of was partly struggling a little to work out exactly what I wanted to say. I had lots of ideas in my head, but I think it was partly the fact that I was producing it myself. So I had a lot of things that I had to deal with. So I was kind of, the writing side of things took a back seat for a little bit because I was so focused on the musicality of it. So maybe that was partly it in this time around. Yeah. So you kind of create these demos, you discuss it, yeah. them with Ben. Um, but, but at what point do you think, right, I'm getting to a stage where I'm going to go into a studio and, and record? Because is there a big gap between the, the two? Are there further demos that you evolve? With this one, it was kind of dictated by cash flow, I would say. It was a case of working out. <laughs> when I could afford to go into the studio. Um, so there was a bit of a gap from the initial sorting out of ideas to getting in the studio. I think what I decided was, I knew in six months time, for example, that there was some space available at a particular studio or the studios that we ended up using. So that was kind of like the first marker of like, okay, I've got this amount of time to develop these songs now. So they're in an air in a space, a shape even that, once we get to those particular dates, they're ready to record or at least record the parts. So that was kind of what dictated when the process began in terms of recording in the studio. Yeah. So you had a kind of deadline to work towards Yeah. Um, in terms of getting the songs into shape to go into the studio. Which sure. studio were you going to go into? Where did we go to in, what was, was it Bermondsey, the first one? Uh, it, it's in the Limehouse. Limehouse, that's it. Uh, it was one called in Ari Sounds, Ari Sounds Studios. Yeah. How long would you give yourself each time? Would you just go in for a couple of days or would you block out a week? About two, three weeks we were in there and it was, we went down there and we, I, the reason why I, okay, it makes sense to have, give a bit of the backstory regarding this particular studio. So this particular studio I had used before on the previous record and I loved the drum sound so much. I thought, right. I want to go down there and do part of the record there. And um, so I thought, right, okay, this madly, you know, Ari, my last sound engineer now owns this studio. And I'm in this lucky position where I can get it for a cheap rate. 
So I was like, okay, that's perfect. I'll go down there and use that place for, for drums. And at the same time, I'll record guitar, bass, keys, because there was a, an upright there and a, a baby grand. And we'll set up loads of synths and record lots of synth stuff there as well. That was the plan. Yeah, which sounds like a good one. And so, I mean, Shooter's role is to make sure that you're able to record all those sounds. Is that, is that how it works? <laughs> That's correct. Without him, yeah. I'll be fucking dead. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's his job. His job is to keep me alive. <laughs> and so were all the, all the drums recorded there for the, for the album? Um, what about for Breaking yeah. Cover? Because the drums have a great sound on the album, don't they? And you know, they sound really live. I mean, how do you approach it? Because you just played uh, kind of a couple of loops that you created as demos. Yeah. And one of the great things about the record is that whole drum sound because it sounds as if somebody's there playing in the background while you're speaking. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's a live drummer. But, but it might not necessarily be the case. I mean, you could have, you could have just like chopped up a, a couple of breaks and, and put no, it together that way. But... No, that's not my style. Um, I've never done that, actually. I've always had real live musicians. So it was mm. a continuation of the same thing. Um, with this particular album, I decided I wanted to go down the route of um, Talk Talk to a certain extent, particularly the Laughing Stock record. Um, I was reading the engineer who engineered Talk Talk records and uh, maybe Mark Hollis's solo record as well. His book, he talks about the process for making Laughing Stock in particular. And the way they did it was they got musicians in. And then they were, um, they got them to just to play a whole load of takes, literally gave them like skeleton ideas and then basically orchestrated different directions of that same idea and just recorded stuff for hours and hours and hours. So I wanted to go down that route really. So handed over the initial idea to each one of the players. And then I was basically orchestrating where the idea should go in terms of development and i would i would have um the talk mic on at all times and it would just be a case of me saying okay that's great yeah let's go down that route all right let's let's go over there let's add a, uh, maybe some toms in this particular pattern okay let's try it and this, that was kind of the the process really this and i did that with all of the musicians um because again i don't know theory and i didn't have an arrangement structure in mind at the time it was a case of collecting a whole load of sound and then sifting through it and working out the arrangements. Yeah. So with Breaking Cover, having heard these demo loops that you created, what happened next yeah. and, and you know what can we hear next? Okay. Um, so with Breaking Cover, I guess the first thing to play would be the drums. We can start from there, I guess, Utah. Yeah, okay, okay. And... Uh, if I remember correctly, I believe it was drums that we started with, no, in, in the recording process. Yeah, 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 yeah. Drum yeah. first, bass next. Yeah. So who's doing the drums? Who's drumming? So it's a guy called Fabian Prin. Fabian Prin. I was introduced to him on the Dark Days and Canapes um, sessions. Leo brought him in. But I was so infused and attracted by his playing style and anything that was thrown at him, he was able to decipher and bring his own kind of flavour to it. So, yeah, he was the guy on drums. So, with the drums, 
and with all all the instruments we would start off with the initial uh, pattern like the kind of loop pattern and then i would just yeah, dictate basically where we would go with it in terms of a next kind of pattern or bringing in particular parts of the kit or taking bits away or just try experiment a lot with positions of mics or muting particular bits of the kit or playing in a particular way lighter harder and i just took a whole load of sound basically just a whole load of him playing and off the back of that we cut up basically different patterns and then i would take that away and start thinking about arrangements but that's what i did with all the instruments so it's interesting because you're kind of acting like a a conductor cre- get getting them to create on the spot yeah and you're directing it yeah and at the same time you're thinking about what you're hearing and trying to work out where it's going to go and how you can use it in the future it's um yeah it's very yeah. open-ended approach isn't it yeah i realized down the line that it wasn't the easiest approach to do because going down the route of this creating on the fly without any kind of like arrangement structure in place means that you have a whole load of possibilities which is a good thing but it make it just makes it a tougher job you know um, yeah and i think if i could do it again maybe i would have maybe i would have done it slightly differently in terms of going in with a clear idea of what i wanted to do verse chorus bridge whatever stuff like that to kind of make it a little bit easier but at the same time i think it was just a much more um instinctive approach going with my gut feeling and this kind of really embracing the creativity and the moment and going wherever the 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 music wanted me to go so yeah yeah conducting it like that i kind of explained in the beginning to everyone that this is how i'm going to do it because it's the only way i feel i can do it and i was lucky that all of them were really open to the idea of doing that and was quite happy for me to do that because i think it kind of was a bit more potentially interesting for them rather than this is the chorus, this is the verse, this is the bridge, I need it like this, this, this. It was kind of just like, okay, you play, and I'll just kind of coax or push and pull you in different directions, and we'll just, we'll keep rolling. And we got so much, so much footage, footage, so much sound off the back of that, you know, so many takes and a whole load of stuff, which was great because it gave me a, a large palette to work with for the next phases. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. And it's interesting that you use the word footage, even though it might be a, a slip of the tongue, because <laughs> it sounds like a kind of film director's approach. I mean, often yeah, you know, you'll hear so. stories about a film where all the actors involved have no idea where something is going and they really don't know mm. what it's going to look like until they actually go and watch the film. And for some of yeah. the musicians involved this time, uh, maybe that was the case. They thinking, where is Tech yeah, Hobart? For sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. then they finally yeah, hear the definitely. record and think, ah, I see what's yeah, going on. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good point. Yeah, for it, I think everyone pretty much has only heard what's out, which is just the one song. And mm. every one of them was pretty much calling me like, whoa, I didn't expect <laughs> that as <laughs> the end result. Because, yeah, it was a case of I'm, I'm just going to take as much as I can in terms of music and then work away in my own weird way. Yeah. 
And with breaking cover, it's interesting because it's quite a long track. It's like six and a half minutes long. Yeah, and yeah, and there yeah, are yeah, lots yeah. of different elements in there. I mean, I, I mentioned yeah. the kind of uh, stabbing guitar and you've got that guitar mm-hmm. line which runs through it. But there's also yeah. these lovely abstract keys going on as well. And there's some kind of rising synth sounds. And then it all breaks down yeah. at the end just to the keys. And so yeah. you know, were all of those bits kind of recorded separately and then reassembled by yourself. That's correct. That makes me sound so good. Thanks, man. It does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a case of, um, with all of that stuff, um, it, you just saying it like that, it was, I'm trying to just get myself back in the room to remember. And it was like, mm. it was all pretty much spontaneous, really. Like the guitar stabs with this kind of, that would have been Scott um, Remington, who is also my live bass player who's an amazing guitarist as well. So he came in and played the guitar. And on that particular track, he was tuning up and this strumming in a particular way. And I was just like, I need that. Give me some of that as well. So that's what ended up on a song, that aggressive kind of hits mm. with stuff like that. The key stuff that's kind of running through, that's by, um, that is Robert Stillman, um, who... He's a multi-instrumentalist composer himself. His main instrument would be a saxophone. But for some reason, I got it in my head that I wanted him to come in and play keys. I don't know why. I just just felt like I must have seen him play keys once. And I was like, yeah, this is the kind of flavor I want. He's a really experimental guy. And I set up loads of synths and with loads of pedals. And I just said, come down and just have some fun for a day and just jam and see what comes out. So that would have been on potentially my Mellotron, maybe, but we're running through a whole load of pedals. So we just had a load of pedals set up and then it was a case of him just experimenting with the original idea and then me again just dictating, okay, I really like that, let's increase a bit more, do a bit more of that or... Let's try it this in a particular way. Um, and I just like the idea of it kind of running through the track as its own thing. Like it's kind of, I guess it's kind of influenced by jazz to a certain extent. I, what I love about jazz is the idea of different elements all starting in the same place and then wandering off in their own directions and then coming back together to reach the same destination. And I felt like that's what I wanted the keys to do. And yeah. I knew the moment that I arranged it, that I wanted it to be the first track on a record. And I just liked the idea of opening songs that are really long. <laughs> just felt <laughs> like it could have been much shorter. I was tempted to cut down the keys and make it a bit snappier, but there was something about those keys, especially after the aggression of the song and that relentless bass line. And just the idea of, it kind of going into this tranquil place after all that aggression and panic just felt like a good way for it to end. So there was a particular take on the keys that Robert did that I just felt like could really, and and that is even like the keys on there went on for another 10 minutes or something. But Mm. part of the process for me with this record was cutting the fat as much as possible. So making sure everything in it was necessary you know not just having additional stuff just just because you know so Mm. yeah it was a mixture of things so you've got all these different parts 
How do yeah. you go about assembling them? I mean, do you just have it all on a board in front of you and you know what's on which <laughs> fader and just start fiddling around? Do you do it that way? So the way I went about doing that was um, I created about four books of notes and like a, a spreadsheet with the different elements that I wanted for each track. So on this particular track, I knew that it was going to be, yeah, it was drums, keys, bass, guitar, and then um, like electronic programming. So the first task was to make sure I had all those takes. And then it was a case of working out, taking notes on the fly in terms of, okay, I really like this element, or I really like this particular take on, on the guitar, for example. Okay, I know that I have 10, 15 moods regarding the drums. So I kind of took notes of the type of styles or patterns being played. The next phase was the arranging phase. It was a case of um, going through the elements, basically. I would have, after that first like three-week session of recording, I, I was commuting from Margate, so I was living in Margate at the time. So I was coming into London every day to do a session and then head back. So I tried to bounce out that day's session um, so I could listen to it on the way home and then take further notes and say, okay, right, I really like this, I really like this, I need a bit more of that. And then it was a case of once that recording process was done, I had enough notes to then say, okay, let's try this. And it was literally a case of throwing paint at the wall, <laughs> mm. pretty much, and seeing what made sense, what I could make of the palette I'd created from the recording process. And the initial idea is always the backbone, the kind of the mood that I, I want the track to go down or the direction of the track, so to speak. And then it's a case of what I've been able to capture will still be connected to the mood that I tried to get from the original demo. But it's now a case of working out an arrangement that is fitting for that particular mood or feeling that I'm trying to get across. And... On this record, it was the first time I had arranged properly. Like I, I did it on the first record, but that was just crudely, you know, instinctively done off the fact I'd never done anything like that before. And all the rest of the records, I obviously helped arrange, but it was I never did it solely myself. So with this record, it was a challenge because there were so many acoustic elements and experimentation. So I kind of went down the route of listening to a couple of records where I kind of was really intrigued or um, inspired by the arrangements. I remember listening to Portishead's third record a lot and Radiohead's Amnesiac. And what I got from both those records, maybe more on the Portishead side in, in this respect, were just arrangements that had, there was no rules to it. I could do whatever I want. And that was such a, an amazing insight for me where I felt, mm. okay, that's going to really help because I can this, I've been listening to these records for years and not really thought about it, but I've enjoyed them regardless. So I'm going to go down that route. So with Breaking Cover, I just remember getting in the studio and was like, okay, right, we're going to start like this and I'm going to start with the bass and then I want the drums to come in in a particular way at bar, whatever. Then we're going to start with uh, the verse and blah, 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 and, t and take it from there, really. And I just kind of just like, it was just chopping and changing and putting things in particular places, 
having a listen that didn't sound right okay I'll take that element out and put that over there and it was just a case of doing that there was no kind of rhyme or reason to it it was all just instinctive and whatever felt right I just I stuck with it really um and that's how I, I went about arranging. Yeah. And so is this you with Shooter in the studio then after the musicians have gone? This is you um, yeah, getting so all those parts. For sure. And Shooter helped with managing the takes and breaking down the drum part. So what I could I could neatly have all the takes to take home and start messing around with them in a in a crude way in logic. And it was a case of at the arrangement stage, it was kind of like pre-arrangement then arrangement so I would have the elements and then it was a case of a next stage of experimentation where I was taking parts and reamping, so putting the elements through guitar amps and capturing the sound again through that process we put things through tapes we put things through filters we put things through different types of hardware just to kind of get a new flavor from a particular take or a particular sound so there was a lot of that going on and that was always part of the game plan, so to speak. I wanted to, I wanted it to be, like I mentioned earlier, an acoustic record, but electronic leanings and experimentation and oddities, lots of weird sounds that sound incredibly odd on their own, but within the mix felt right. Yeah. And how, how can we hear that now with Breaking Cover then? How, how can we be talked through this process? Well... Hopefully through Shooter playing some stuff, if possible. <laughs> yeah. It, can you play stuff, Shooter? Yeah. Well, we've kind of like jumped ahead. So I don't know. Um, let's hear the drums on that for a second, please. Yeah, sure. So this is Fabian. This is Fabian on the drums. Um, one thing that I remember from when we recorded them in Ari, Ari Sound Studios, there was like a reverb tank that they had kind of put in the in the ceiling like a natural reverb tank of sorts so i remember us miking that up as well so there was different different drum mic choices that i had to sift through and decide what made sense so there was that um could i get please some of robert stillman's stuff please if possible the keys bits yeah So it was like, this was kind of like the backbone of the song as well, having all these kind of like floaty kind of experimental keys. Yeah, this is, this is on the Mellotron, I think, but through some particular pedals, I can't remember what they were, but kind of delays and phases and some odd pedals I've picked up over the years on my travels. Yeah, and when, when Robert was playing, was he playing to anything or was he just there on his own playing to himself? He was playing with the drums. Right, okay. So the drums was the first thing that was played. I have to think back now, but I believe it was guitar. Guitar and drums were in place before Robert came down. Mm. And this the original kind of, or original kind of bass idea that I had was put down and then it was, that's what he was playing to. But it was never a case of play in time with what's going on. I just wanted to kind of take the main idea and then this go with it and it was a mixture of him playing and me tweaking pedals at the same time and him tweaking pedals at the same time and just recording what came out really um 
So that was Robert, and he was. I actually met Robert in Margate. He, he's a Margate dwelling individual. Um, so he came down for a, a couple of days to do his parts mm. on that song. Um, can we get the bass line, please, Shooter, please? Yeah, so the bass, all the bass on, the, on this track was uh, Tom Herbert of The Invisible. He did bass on, on the last record, Dark Days and Canapes. So he came through and did bass. And once again, it was just a case of me giving an original idea and then him taking it into different places with me pushing and pulling him, really. Um, again, with what I did a lot was kind of set up, or the, you know, the players came down and set up bass, guitar. They came down with pedals and... I would get them to play and then I would literally just go down and tweak the pedals as they were playing to get these different elements and different flavours. Um, so if I remember correctly on this song in terms of the bass, we recorded it using... Did we set up a couple of amps with the, with the, with the bass? the bass? Shooter? No, just one just bass the one. amp. Yeah, yeah, it's a Fender bass, man. That was it. Yeah. Um, and... We just did a lot of post kind of stuff of just like chucking it through different hardware um, stuff and plugins to just find a particular sound that I wanted really. Yeah. It's really interesting because the approach seems to be akin to Miles Davis or, or Fela Kuti in the way that they would interact with their musicians. And it sounds really exciting and really tactile and also Potentially, I mean, when you would go in and change somebody's bass setting, yeah. um, would they be pulling a face at you, or would you be smi- smiling at no, them? No, they yeah, were or fine. Would it, 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 yeah, they were, yeah, they were yeah. fine with it because I I made it clear from the beginning that's what I was gonna do. Um, they find it quite amusing, really, just kind of just yeah. coming up with odd sounds. I think because normally, not all the time, but a lot of the time, it's kind of just a more of a structured job. And with me, it was a case of, I, I just want to get really odd sounds. Yeah. So for a musician, that's kind of fun to do. Well, if you're that way inclined anyway. Um, so yeah. they found it quite fun. Oh yeah, this part here um, is, it was through, what was that that kind of like delayed dub that you had, Tutor? Remember it? This is from uh, Rob's take. He was just jamming around. Yeah. We just picked up weirdest the weirdest Section. sounds. I remember us <laughs> yeah. putting, putting it through like an Italian delay of some sort. Remember that one? I can't remember what it was called. Oh, um, yeah. It might be my Melos, like yeah. a cheap, cheap delay unit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that happened a lot. We kind of just put stuff through the shit stuff. <laughs> just to kind of get. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it just comes up with the coolest sounds, you know. So yeah. there was that kind of elements as well, really. The approach also reminds me of Marky e. Smith. I remember seeing him live doing this kind of thing quite a bit on stage. So the, yeah. the band would be playing, he'd be wandering around yeah, and just tweaking adjusting things. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. sometimes in a fairly aggressive, uh, quite uh, <laughs> intimidating manner. For sure. Um, but entertaining and interesting. I mean, that's just it. It, it. it is interesting. I mean, it's also, I mean, the kind of thing Bob Dylan would throw people in and say, right, well, this is the song and just kind of launch into it and they just have to react on the spot. Yeah, yeah. In the moment, it felt like the best way to get creativity out of the musicians. It's kind of give them no space to think. This kind of feel, you know, I feel... Mm came up with the best results for me 
and it's always the way I've tried to work. So I just felt like, let me try that approach with them and see how they react. And it was all good, really. And yeah, I was really pleased with all the elements that I got off the back of those recordings. And it just helped so much to create something a bit weird, but powerful at the same time, you know. Yeah. But theoretically, I mean, this could be an enormous task then to go through everything that you've recorded. It was. And assemble it <laughs> and structure it. Was it an enormous task. And presumably, did you then get the track to the right point and then you put the vocals on? So the kind of track itself was uh, completed and the vocals went on top. Um, I got them to a certain point musically, depending on the song. Uh, for some songs, I needed them to be a bit more fleshed out. For others, I was quite happy with the raw elements or the raw kind of stage and wanted to put vocals down then. With Breaking Cover, it was, because of the arrangement, I'm pretty sure it was kind of at the midway point I started putting the vocals down, even if it was just a kind of guide vocal, just to help me with the arrangement down the line because I knew it was going to be a kind of like stop-start arrangement where there was like drums coming in and out again and elements jumping left and right. And I wanted to let the, the vocal sit in the middle of it all and I could build the track around the vocals, so to speak. So, yeah, that would have been the way yeah. this this song. Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, Breaking Cover is the opening song on the album mm. um, and that phrase works in different ways. So it's almost as if Ghost Poet is breaking cover. He's coming back <laughs> into our midst once more. Um, but also the way that the words work and everything, you, you start from the first person, but then you say you and then you say they. And so you're kind of yeah. involving us all in this thought process and in this outlook and feeling that you're getting. So, For I mean, sure. as you move from being alive and then you want to die mm. um, and then you need a break. <laughs> and it, you know, it's quite interesting because initially you think, oh, right, that's him. But then yeah. you kind of involve us all. We're all involved in this plight. Yeah, I feel like... That's society, isn't it? You know, as we're seeing in the current state of things, we need to work together to reach a goal. We're all part of the same thing. And I felt with this particular song, the idea of despair or having that kind of feeling of not knowing what's around the corner was a, a universal feeling. So it felt right to go that way with the lyrics um mm. yeah that was kind of what dictated it really yeah well it, i mean it, it really works i think as a listener you get really caught up in in what's going on and uh, I, I think we Thank should you. probably hear the finished article or a burst of it yeah. and then move on to one of the other songs from the album so are we able to do that shooter yep Yeah, there's so many odd sounds, so many odd sounds. There's that kind of, that, that, it's kind of, I must have taken that from another project or something and just felt like that would be a great thing to have in there, plunk it in the beginning. I mean, it's interesting because in some ways you're being a sound collagist with your approach. <laughs> yeah, Because I guess you're so. collaging sound together to create the final picture. Yeah, uh, that feels like a title I could use, Sound Collagist. 
I just like sound and I kind of I like the marrying of oddity and uniform and then it was a case of having that in the beginning kind of odd dissonance and then diving into the world of the song with the introduction of the lyrics I'm alive you are alive we are alive they are alive and then I wanted to yeah and then I wanted to bring the drums out the kind of emphasis on on the alive bit and then after that I decided to introduce some more guitar so kind of a guitar matching up with the prominent bass line I want to die At the same time, you've got Robert doing his thing and on the side there, this kind of almost kind of like a jazz pianist noodling away, but kind of in the track, but out the track, you know. It's getting kind of complex these days. And obviously, um, Art School Girlfriend is the the female vocal on this on this track that comes in on the choruses. And then I introduced this kind of like electronic kind of rhythmic noise into the choruses. One of the things I like about about the lyrics to this song and the way they interact with the music, it, it seems to mirror the way our brains work. So at one point we're saying I'm alive, and then another point we're saying yeah. I want to die. You know th- th- yeah. this kind of fluctuating mood response we can have within sure. a split second almost. Yeah. No, you capture yeah. that really well. Thank you. I, I, yeah, it definitely was something I was trying to get across. The idea of yeah, our brains are never just thinking of one particular thing. It's it's a multitude of things at any one time, and yeah, I wanted to get across the kind of like. We'll talk about here about can't turn it off, panic attacks, anxiety, and you know feeling feeling elated, feeling downhearted. They need the break. It's all on top. It's too much noise. I can't turn it off. Panic attacks. I need a break. I wanted to get that across the over one track, you know, anchored with the chorus, which is like things are complex right now, you know. And we need to be prepared for whatever's coming our way. We better get our hard ass ready. Complex these days. It's getting kind of complex these days. I mean, it is interesting how this is getting released at this time yeah. when the world is caught up in this pandemic. And yeah. um, it, it's uncanny. It seems to really tie in with what's going on. I, can't, I just so constantly, well. I'm constantly shaking my head at this because yeah, it's like, I've been kind of talking this way for a long time, like some kind of doomsday town crier. And it's like, it's really odd to me that the fact that we're in this situation and this record's coming out and a whole load of songs on this record is very much steeped in what's happening now. Um, And it wasn't my intention. I wish it wasn't the case at all, but I don't know. I just kind of... I always try and just, you know, put my finger in the air and see where the wind is blowing, you know, and yeah. that's what dictates what I make, you know. So, yeah, that's kind of it. It's very interesting, the role of the artist 
<laughs> in our world. No, yeah. I grow tired but dare not fall asleep. No, the title of the album yeah. seems to tap into that idea that that constant anxiety that we have at the moment. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's yeah, again it was it wasn't intentional. It was just kind of how I felt at the time when writing that down, thinking of titles for for the record and I wanted a title which kind of yeah, was kind of a, an umbrella for the songs the world that I was trying to create and yeah it's it's really weird I'm still trying to process the fact that that's the case overall that it's so in the moment I didn't expect that really yeah yeah, yeah I mean it can yeah. be viewed on it can be viewed in a positive and a negative way so you no know, it's brilliant this that it ties it. in this is it um, but yeah. it, you know, it's also kind of frightening yeah um, exactly yeah. exactly yeah 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 but yeah you know after all that the frightening stage we, we go into the, the heavenly lounge you know where yes Roberts is playing away noodling away and yeah um, that's right I just I was so I, I, like I mentioned I was so tempted just to keep this going because it just felt so nice it was just I, yeah, it could have gone on for another five, ten minutes because there was that amount of playing of this. But I, yeah, I had to draw it to a close at some point. So, yeah, maybe you could release a, a special version which has Robert playing it along <laughs> for another five minutes or something. Yeah, no, that, that could be, be the twelve-inch mix or something. Yeah, the director's cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that would be brilliant. <laughs> You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. So if we move on to the next song we're going to look at, which is When Mouths 
collide. Yeah. So from breaking cover to when mouths collide. And yeah. in contrast, this starts with birdsong. Yeah. It's quite a nice contrast to For sure. the tensions that have been in breaking cover, I think. So did you record yeah. this birdsong yourself? No, I got it on the, off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I, what a shame. I, I, want, I want you yeah, down. I want you, you know, putting your hand out the window with a microphone, oh, no, recording the birds. I just, I don't like lying. So I just felt, yeah, I got it from the internet. I kind of, I decided to do that because, because of the subject matter of the song, the kind of idea of your lover, your partner, your relationship slipping away. It's quite dark. And I just like the juxtaposition of dark lyrics or music and Birdsong is beautiful. It's such a beautiful, um, it's always seen as that, quite beautiful and angelic. And I wanted something that was would clash against the kind of torturous relationship that was being talked about. But the birds just don't notice, you know, they keep chirping regardless. <laughs> like, I kind of like that. I think we should hear some birds. I, For I sure, need to let's hear, hear it, Shira. Can we hear some birds? Yeah. I know Shira and me are basically like brothers, but I must have tested his patience many a time because I am I'm just very particular about things. So I, I remember with the bird song, we were tweaking it for a while. You'd think, you know, it's just bird song, whatever. Yeah, we edited the bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we ended up editing the bird song a fair bit because I just, there was, there were the slight things that I was hearing that I thought, oh no, it's not quite right. It wasn't quite sitting right in the songs. So I just wanted to tweak, so we tweaked a lot of it. So a lot of it is what it is, but there's little bits where it should just been tweaked a little just to, so it feels comfortable to my ears. I don't know, it's just so odd. Yeah. But that's what I... Perfecting nature. Perfecting nature, yeah. That's, you know, it's, it's happening. So yeah, I kind of, that happens a lot with me when it comes to production. I just, I'm happy to just tweak at one element for a long time, just so it just feels right. Um, I don't know if it's worth actually, yeah, I'm trying to think of the elements of the demo. It was, again, another kind of like um, free channel type thing. It was um, a guitar, um, drums. It's actually worth doing, actually. Could we play the demo? That'd be quite good. Yeah. started off as a, yeah, a guitar, bass, drum thing and it changed a lot in the process of making it because I, I recorded these elements as they were and had a whole load of takes for all of it and then took it into the studio for arranging and I was just like, it's too nice, it's just too nice, it's just it's too obvious and too predictable as a song so I ended up I, what I loved about this why I wanted to develop it and make it a song for the record was the fact that I, there was something kind of really drunken about the delivery of the notes that I loved that boat kind of a swaying drunkenness that um, you can hear with like the slide of the bass guitar and and I loved 
the drum pattern I just kind of with drums I'm always kind of like just experimenting so they fit around notes and they're never kind of the standard four four type stuff there's always kind of odd stuff going on so I love those elements and I thought once they were recorded it would inspire further creation but I, I took it to Hackney Road Studios and it was just like no this is it's not working it's not working so I stripped out the guitar because I felt like the guitar was just too whatever really um, and then I replaced it with this This was me um, playing with my Prophet 6 and it was literally this arpeggiation, this ar arpeggiators. Yeah, is that it? I didn't, Daddy, I'll say that fucking word. Arpeggiating, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Um, lots of stuff like that, really. Just kind of like experimenting with those. And I just settled on this particular melody and it just felt way more kind of moody and dark and this fitting the subject matter way more so we kind of did that can you bring in the drums please shooter yeah so the drums kind of true to the demo but this kind of i just liked how they were playing with the with the, the synth line and this kind of fitting spaces in between the notes and can we bring the bass in please shooter yeah. So the bass was kind of still true to the demo, but it still had that kind of like drunkenness to it, but just was way more interesting together, really. Um, could we bring in percussion? I believe we've got percussion in this one, no? Yeah, so this is on the chorus. I had a percussion, the Brazilian percussionist who came in and like every other musician just jammed out a whole load of ideas for me and yeah it was great just working with those elements and, and making notes work with the drums and just kind of giving the song a kind of groove to it that was kind of groovy but lyrically it was just really <laughs> moody um trying to think what else is in there um doing i have a keyboard part yeah let's bring that in let's bring the keys in and some piano part as well cool let's do it yeah, so there was this this bit here. Was that did we record the air conditioning on this one? That that I think it was that. I'm not sure. I remember doing that at some point. Yeah, not this song, I guess. Okay, it was another song. So yeah, we recorded elements in the studio. I remember we recorded the air conditioner for some reason. <laughs> I'm just thinking that must be the complete opposite of what most people would be doing in terms of recording. You know, they're trying to fight <laughs> against having recorded air conditioning by mistake, no, and you, you're no, there trying I'm to record small. it. I embrace all sounds. Um, yeah, so we've done this piano. This was on a little kind of um, tiny little kind of synth computer called um, a Critter and Qatari um, organelle. So I'd done that piano on that and then I recorded it into a, like a, a tape machine, a Marantz tape machine. And then we had that element, I put that in there and then I wanted to kind of like keep elements changing over the course of the song. So kind of keeping that bass line as the anchor, so to speak, but then elements going around, coming in and out. Um, and then, yeah, the keys came back in here. I think I played them on here. So the, the shittier the keys, it's usually me playing. So it was probably me on this. And um, 
yeah I just kind of I, I love this song because it's just like it just captures the mood it just feels so melancholic but groovy at the same time and there's a sense of drama and tension with the simps that yeah I'm just lucky that the idea came to me at the time and just worked out that way you know and so with this song it sounds as if you had a lyrical idea much more mapped out in terms of yeah, what you were trying to yeah. achieve definitely on this song the lyrics was definitely dictating the direction I knew that I wanted it to be quite cinematic and dramatic and have this at the end, the kind of like build up of the drums, that build up attention, build up attention, and then it kind of cuts out, you know, I, I wanted that to happen. So I kind of had ideas in the beginning, but I kind of carried out um, to the end of the process. Yeah. Yeah, and then suddenly, it, it, so we go from this lovely, nice start um, with the birds as well, almost yeah, bucolic, yeah, yeah. and then you start to to kind of bring in the tension, which is to reflect these lyrics, which uh, reflect attention in a relationship. Is yeah, what yeah, you're yeah. saying for sure. And so the actual evolution of the song title is interesting too, because as we've been preparing for our chat, you've revealed that originally <laughs> this was called "Hung Overboard." The final title is "When Mouths Collide." Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And unhung overboard is a great phrase, and it's one that comes through the song that you use a lot. You okay. Know. It's like yeah, a, port, it's sure. a portmanteau, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always mess around with lyrics like that. I love kind of like smashing two words together to create something new. And I just like that. Is it a refrain? Is that the right word to use? I just love the idea of repeated lyrics, you know. I didn't mm. really do that previously. I just felt like it was something that made sense for this song, just have that kind of line that was kind of carried out throughout the song that kind of helped the listener to a certain extent or kind of was a clear explanation of how the two characters in the song are feeling maybe um yeah yeah but in making that decision that kind of final decision as to what to call the song yeah you know, when you've got hung overboard and then you thought no is that too explicit is that why you moved away from that and went nah. for when mouse collide it was more kind of a case of um i just felt it I, th I didn't like the idea of, apart from the title track, I didn't want any songs that were just a lyric pick from the song. So I kind of wanted to get right. away from that. So I guess that was really the reason why I went with that rather than anything else. And yeah, yeah when mouse collide, just sounds more interesting to me. Fair enough. Social Lacerations is the third song we're going to look at, yeah. which is a great phrase. Thanks, man. So this is when we get cut by social interaction. We get cut and scarred. <laughs> yeah, because that's kind of what happens, really, if you, you, know, if you haven't got thick skin. Yeah. Uh, social media can be a really mentally damaging place, you know, and mm. I guess that was the kind of beginnings of that song, really, in terms of lyrics anyway yeah it's the last song on the record and i just wanted to make something epic really <laughs> that was that one line that i put down when i was thinking about the arrangement and how it would develop i just wanted it to be epic and cinematic and a closure of sorts but a kind of twisted hopefulness to it you know that was kind of how i was feeling about it 
And who's the other vocalist on this one? So on this one, it's uh, a lady called Sara Sara. Um, on the previous two, it was Art School Girlfriend. And I just love Sara Sara's voice. I just felt it just would fit perfectly with this particular song. I think I got her in to record on another song. And I just it was just nagging away at me when I knew she was coming down for the day to record that. I think she should try something. She should try the lyrics on this particular song. I think it's going to work. So after we did that, the initial song that she'd come down to do, I was, I just, you know, I charmed her and said, please, please, my dear, <laughs> can you <laughs> try this song as well? And she obliged and she just done an amazing job. And the way that she comes in, I kind of, you just don't, you don't know she's there and then she kind of appears and I disliked to try that. I thought it would make sense to give it a go and it just works really well. Yeah. I mean, you always seem to have a great array of different other voices in contrast to yours. You know, on each album, there, there are different people that you involve each time round. You know, be it Nadine Shah a mm. couple of albums ago or, yeah, or Paul yeah, Smith yeah. from Maximo Park even, or, yeah, you know, yeah. which is always interesting. I mean, you're lo looking for new voices, new new foils or new, new, new contrast to what you do? Am, am I looking, you say? Did you say? Yes, yeah. Um, not on a regular basis. It's always kind of a case of sometimes I write a song and I feel like, ah, oh, this particular person could be interesting to work with on this. So I kind of write potentially with them in mind. Sometimes it works out that I end up working with them. Sometimes it doesn't. And other times it's a case of um, it's people this music that I admire, the stuff that I like, and I just chance my arm and see if they'd be interested in working with me. And it works out that way sometimes. So it just depends, really. So how did this song start then? How should we dissect this one? Yeah, so on this particular song, I guess the best way to start would be with the bass please shooter. Yep. So yeah, I, it was Tom Herbert on bass and, oh, on double bass in this respect. And for me, it was just something that I really wanted to get on a record, um, a double bass sound. And that definitely is because of my love of jazz. And yeah, I just wanted to do that with this record. Um, can we get the organ please shooter on this one too? Mm-hmm. So the organ was um, just a Honor organ that was in Ari Sound Studio in Cable Street. And that was definitely connected to the original demo in that respect. Just not on a plug-in, just a real instrument. And yeah, I believe it was Robert Stillman playing on this. Um, and can we get some of the guitar, please, which was the main melody? So this was the main melody again, taken from the original idea. Um, it would have been processed a fair bit. We used like an Eva-tired harmonizer a lot to process guitar sounds on this particular record. So potentially that was using this one. But then you've got this odd kind of sound that comes in that was, I can't tell you where it comes from, but it was some kind of processed synth sound that would have been put through pedals, put through effects 
put through an amp and that's the end result. This is another guitar line. I kind of was like battling with the idea of how can I introduce guitar but not have the kind of standard copying of each other's melody type thing. I wanted to kind of use it as a sample rather than ongoing melody. The piano line that comes in here is kind of like the guitar line but played on piano just to kind of freshen up the song and take it in a different direction in that respect and like everything else it was processed to death just kind of free effects and Introduction. Oh, should we bring the strings in as well? Just, I think there's some strings coming in at some point. There should be some strings here. Yeah, so we had some strings come in as well. Um, they were played by a gentleman called Raven, another Margate Connection, who's a composer and string arranger. Um, Raven Bush. Raven Bush, yes, Raven Bush yes. indeed, yeah. And an amazing guy, this, he, he basically came in and played all the strings himself. So it was literally a case of one guy playing in different positions. He'll start facing the mic, then he would turn his back to the mic and we would record that and that would give us another kind of element. He would play it sitting down, he'd play it quietly, loudly. He had different styles of violins to give us more of a depth and uh, the idea of a quartet. And yeah, an amazing, amazing guy. Let's bring in the drums. Let's bring drums in. Is it worth mentioning? I'd hate to, but Raven Bush is Kate Bush's nephew. If anybody needs to know this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the case. But he's got bands of his own and he's worked he with has. all sorts of people, hasn't he? Yeah, uh, Sid Arthur and mm. Telecentrics and all sorts. Um, yeah, then I kind of wanted this epic ending and you have the guitar come in again, but a more of a kind of solo. This was Scott Remington on guitar and this was like one kind of take really. I got him to play a whole load and this section here just felt so right when I started the arrangement for this particular song and it was kind of the way I wanted to end the record um, for me a kind of reflection of life where it's kind of complicated and it's aggressive and relentless and dominating to a certain extent but then it dips down under the strings and that becomes the kind of dominant force and the hopefulness for the future I guess is kind of in that and then you've got the organ underneath kind of doing a kind of weird kind of bed type thing um, and uh, yeah I kind of wanted it even this element here was kind of I wanted to fade it out so it felt like the band could, could potentially just still be playing that's like carrying on that that message for 
potentially or eternity. You just never know because it's faded out. Yeah, it was fun arranging that one. And it's interesting when we hear the vocals on top of all of that, mm. yeah, because they add that extra element, don't they, which, which sure. helps complete the picture. For um, sure. So it'd be nice to hear some of that with the vocals on top, maybe yeah. just with Sarah Sarah on her own, then a bit of yourself, of course. Yeah. Do you want to play it from like verse one, Shooter, with all the elements inside? Yeah. So I kind of wanted to marry vocally with the guitar line. So that was kind of something that I didn't really, never really do, just kind of like sing along to a melody in that kind of way. I'm always trying to fight it. So it felt like the right thing to do on this track. Mm. And then Sarah Sarah comes in in a minute. her on her own but we kind of like marry up on the on the chorus and sing it together and i've always liked that the kind of like juxtaposition between male and female vocals i just always like that And how do you go about recording vocals, both for yourself and for other people? I mean, do you have particular settings that you like, or um, does it change with each song? It changes with each song to a certain extent. Um, what was the mic that we used? Was it a... It's, um, it's a Philly yeah. C12, Philly 12, basically. Yeah. It's a, what kind of mic is it, would you say? It's a replica of AKG C12. Okay, yeah. He knows more about this stuff than I do, so yeah, it's a good <laughs> mic. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of uh, so. That was the mic that we we tried a few. So that initially we tried like three or four different mics, and I kind of just like felt like that was the mic that felt right for my voice. So I used that for the whole record, and it's a simple setup in terms of I, I like to have it dry when I'm recording. I don't any reverb or anything on it I just want to have it dry and I'll add reverb or any other kind of effects I want afterwards depending on what the song needs Take out my bones I won't need them either Selfie away Make sure you use all the filters Crawl over me Crawl over me You just crawl over me And for some songs on the record sometimes it was just a guy vocal Sometimes it was the first or second take, a proper take, just dependent on what felt right to me when it came to the arrangement stage, really. Um, I couldn't tell you on this particular song what take it was, but I don't, I don't really like doing too many takes. I kind of do like a couple of takes and then move on. I don't, I don't really like yeah. hanging around when it comes to vocals. I kind of want to get it down and, yeah, hopefully it will work um, out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And when you're recording your guests, yeah. do you record them dry as well um, in, in order to give yeah. yourself yeah. that flexibility? Same, same way. Uh, again, yeah. we kind of, depending on the voice, we'll try different mics, see what works best. 
Some people want a bit of a reverb in their ears so they can just feel a bit more comfortable, so we give them that. And similar to with the musicians, I'm dictating to a certain extent of how I want it sung. Not too much because I want them to express themselves, but at the same time, I, I, I'm looking for particular things for the song and I want to get that down and then we can try other stuff to see what works. And I, I, it's a give and take thing, you know, they'll suggest particular ways of doing it and I'll, I'm always open to trying stuff and if it works, it works, if it isn't, it isn't. So that would have been done with Sara Sara on this song and all the rest of the, of the guest vocalists. Um, yeah, I, I like working that way when it comes to guests. Yeah. It's interesting because with the double bass on this song, you talk about how you know that's connected to your love of jazz, and mm. and it made me think about when you first emerged with that debut album with Peanut Butter Blues and Melancholy Jam, because mm. it was a more jazz trio type setup in those days, wasn't it? <laughs> I seem to remember you coming on the radio show, and it was just <laughs> was it acoustic guitar and your voice and a, and a bass? It was electric guitar, drums, and everything else was on track or you know ele electronic yeah. elements and then my vocal and yeah i wouldn't say jazz trio that would be very disrespectful <laughs> to actual jazz trios it was more kind of i just worked with what i had really and my plan and dream was to always evolve and grow the band live and the sound on record and with this record i felt it was this opportunity for me to this really express myself and create a really full and widescreen sound but at the same time it isn't like squeaky clean which is something that both me and shooter are quite we both agree on that we it's not about creating these really glossy records it's about having a bit of grit and dirt in there you know so like we pour all the bass and drums through shooter's tape machine that he's got down there in his studio in hackney road just to get that hiss and warmth that you get from stuff from putting things through tape you know yeah but it made me think you know when i was thinking about those early days about how you got in to this whole music game you know because it, a recurring theme today has been that, you know, you don't have the training, you don't have the knowledge necessarily. Obviously, you've got the vision. You know, that's what's driving <laughs> you. You've got something you're trying to realise. Um, but at the same time, not having knowledge can be quite off-putting or it could be quite... Um, it could undermine yeah, what sure. you want to do. And, you know, how did you end up doing it? I mean, you know, because obviously you were described as a poet in the early days and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, incorrectly. But I kind of was this. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, but ghost poet would kind of <laughs> lure people yeah, into I kind, that. I kind conclusion. of shot myself in the foot with this stupid name. So yeah, you know, I've got no one to blame but myself. Um, but in terms of the way I started, it was a case of um, just trying shit. You know, I just I didn't really think about because I didn't have any formal training. I didn't really have any idea of the rules of how I was supposed to make music or what genre I was supposed to sit in and stuff like that based on what I wanted to talk about or the elements I wanted to use. So I just kind of made stuff. And from the very beginning, it was, does it feel good to me? And that was the only thing that dictated what was made. And I just kind of kept that element alive, really. The sound has developed over the years and 
I guess now I'm way more confident about, no, confidence is the wrong word. I'm more comfortable with the fact that I don't really know much theory because it's very much a case of going with gut instinct and again, this what feels good is what will be recorded or put down really. And that was just something that I wanted to, uh, this is the kind of, the, the album that I've made now is the kind of stuff that I wish I could have made back then, but I just didn't have either the expertise or the access to the great musicians that I got to meet and befriend over the years. And yeah, it's been a journey. It's been a, been a mad journey. Mm. Clearly from what you've been telling us today, you know, when we think of you as a vocalist, we think of you as a lyricist, but here you are explaining how you're directing the music. You, you, you know and have a good sense in your mind somewhere of what you're trying to achieve musically. And that's a fundamental part of, of what you're doing. No. Yeah, I, I, I would never class myself as a vocalist. I never quite understood what that meant. Like mm. For me, I've always just looked at myself as an artist and I can confidently say that I'm a producer now. I've always been a producer, but I would was never confident enough to declare that. And now I am, I guess previously it's maybe the, the music was a bit more subdued or further back in the mix. So my vocals or lyrics were more prominent, but it was never my intention to be seen as some kind of lyric man. You know, I just wanted to yeah. be a musician in my own weird way and just produce music that makes me feel good and will hopefully stand the test of time. That's all I've tried to do really over the course of my career thus far. Yeah, and it's been really interesting hearing how, you know, at the fifth album, how, how you're constantly changing that and evolving that and trying to better that in whatever way seems right at the time. You know, yeah. it's, it's quite fascinating. I'm trying, I'm trying my best. And ultimately, you know, as human beings... I think it's important to continuously keep learning and evolving, you know, and I think if I was to decide after any particular album that, okay, this is it now, I'm just going to make this for the rest of my career, I think it'd be quite boring and I think creatively I'll get quite stagnant. So it's just important to keep moving forward, you know. It's not like I'm trying to reinvent the wheel every time, but it's just important to feel like I've made progress in my career creatively and yeah that's what i feel i've done with this record yeah we have a couple of questions that we always ask people they're two quite different questions one is what piece of advice have you ever been given or what piece of advice would you ever give to somebody <laughs> who is involved in this world is embarking or already embedded in the world of creativity and music production and music making performance yeah. Um, in terms of advice that I've been given, there's no particular one piece of advice that I've like been given in a kind of like sit down meeting or conversation type scenario. I would say what's stuck with me the most is the idea that there is no rules. There really isn't any rules to this game and making music doesn't have to be formatic at all. It could be any which way you, you see fit and with all the music that I love, that always seems to be the thread that runs through them all. It's the complete disrespect for the rules. And it's just, 
pure creativity and feeling. And that's what's always stuck with me, I guess. Yeah. And in terms of any advice I would give, it would be pretty much that. <laughs> Just fuck the rules, man. Just do what you want, <laughs> you know? <laughs> because it's a case of, you know, I think we have so much to express and I think it's, you know, if you're lucky to be in a position to make music or create music, it's a disservice to yourself and to your potential listeners to restrict that potential expression by dictating or conforming to a set of rules. I just think we're in such a privileged position, artists being able to create whatever, whatever we, whatever comes to our mind. And I think it's important just to always keep that in mind when making music, just forget the rules and just, just be and express, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Um, and in contrast to that, um, a more technical question. Uh, Is there any particular piece of equipment, any piece of kit that you have to use or that <laughs> you treasure? Any one piece. You know what? Off the back of this record, I would say my Mellotron. It was used a lot on the record. And I bought it initially for the purposes of, of um, using it in a live scenario. With the last record, um, there was string elements that I really wanted to have played live. And I thought, okay, what's a, what's a way to do that? And I thought the Mellotron would be a good idea. So I bought a Mellotron 4000D. So it's one of the newer versions. And I never had used it in a recording situation until this record. So I had it for a good couple of years. And I, because I lived in Margate, I don't drive. So the idea of wheeling it out to Margate from London, from my lockup, this, this was insane. So we just stayed in the lockup when we weren't using it live. So I got to use it properly on this record. And for me, putting the Mellotron through pedals and processing it, it's just a joy. It's such a joyful instrument to use. You know, the, the fact that if, you know, if your listeners aren't familiar with a Mellotron, it was kind, it's kind of like a all singing, dancing um, sampling machine. It has so many instruments in it and you can, yeah, you could play a flute um, alongside um, a bassoon or, you know, or strings and you can have choirs and all sorts and you can blend between a b between so you can have a choir on one side and you can have a flute on the other side and you can be playing them at the same time and it was this a joy just to mess around with that machine and just pull it through all types of effects and hardware and i think that would be the one piece i would say if yeah my arm was being twisted i would say that <laughs> Shooter, do you have a piece of yep. kit that you particularly yeah, favour that you can't live without? <laughs> yeah, I would say my Shooter analog mm -hmm. kit machine, which I use for discourse port project. It's called A80, um, a two-inch 16-track. I think it's part of my sound, actually. I use it for pretty much every session these days. Yeah, I love it so much. And as somebody who has to work with difficult people like Obar, um, <laughs> you need an awful lot of patience to do what you do. I mean, do you have advice for people you know, about how to, how to reach this 
place of inner calm where you can cope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really find it.、Um, I need the patience, to be honest. I was enjoying all the time hanging out with him, just editing or recording. So I just didn't feel any pain or <laughs> tired、God. or anything. <laughs> So, yeah, it was a real pleasure working with him. Oh,、them. thanks, bro. And yeah, I can say the same things to every session, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. But I've just seen it with lots of different studio situations whereby、um, the people you know, who are manning the equipment they need a certain set of social skills in order to. Um, cope with these situations and、uh, patience is definitely one of them, but also the ability to get on with people and also the ability to let people follow their muse, as it were. So, you know, when a, somebody、sure. like Obar gets gets an idea in his head, he's thinking, Oh, I'm really, I'm, I, I don't know what it is, but I know what it is. You know, that kind of strange contradiction. Yeah, I just want to butt in because that is a really good point. What Shooter was really great at or is really great at is. Just letting the musicians or the artists be the artists, you know, and that was great for me. I was able to just really just fixate on the creativity and really just try anything. And he was able to translate my <laughs> complete nonsense of, like,、oh, I really want to do this to this. It's like,、oh, okay, yeah, cool, fine, fine, fine. fine. And next minute, you know, he set up some mic or, you know, wired a particular thing in and we were away and, and trying something new. And Yeah, he's, he's great at that. Great guy.、Mm. <laughs> I think I enjoy having extra burden, to be honest. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't use tape recorder. True. And grind coffee every yeah, time. Yeah, he makes great coffee too. Oh my God. It's like rocket fuel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such an extra work, but I enjoy it. <laughs> Excellent.、Um, it's been so good to speak to you both. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Working in these isolationist times and communicating in this kind of three way conversation,、um, not in the same room. It's been great, and、uh, I'm really pleased that we've managed to make it work.、Um, we should leave with one more piece of music, or we can play out with something. It could be one of the songs that we've already talked about, or it could be、yeah. another selection from the album. Cool.、Um, what would you like to do? Oh, put me on the spot now. I didn't realize there was going to be this element. Let's go with the title track. Um, I grow tired but dare not fall asleep. Fantastic. Let's do that then. Thanks again, Obar. Thank you, Shooter. Thank you. And this is Ghost Poet and the title track of the album I Grow Tired but Dare Not Fall Asleep. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. To ask a question on a future episode or find out who's coming up, head to our socials and on Instagram you can see pictures from the recording sessions for each episode of Tape Notes. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Count me out, I'm heading to Ecuador. No more letters, we destroyed them all. Counting coins, bits of copper crud. Stare at the stars, feeling out of luck, out of time.
it Who even cares Bury my head Until this life becomes fair And I grow tired But then I fall asleep Who knows what I will await If I fall too deep Call it a